Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Roundtable Podcast, where we interview experts who tackle the tough topics and share strategies and techniques that will help you start, build, and grow your real estate investing business. And now your host, Rob the House Guy. Welcome to REI Roundtable, where we interview real investors that are active in the market right now. This is the exact type of show I wish I'd had when I got started more than 22 years ago. And today we have a treat for you. We have all the way from Tampa, Florida, we have Rafael Vargas. Welcome. Thank you. I feel welcomed. And I am your host, Rob the House Guy, and we are going to dive deep into wholesaling and the way Rafael is doing it a lot different than most folks are. So, Rafael, let's start. Because you're such a young guy, why don't you start with your story of when you got started and how you got started and bring us up to where you are now? Yeah, I appreciate it. And Rob, you know, uh, amazing being here at Real Flow. I know you have an amazing product for CRM and investors. But the way I got started at, I actually got started at the age of 20. So I got started at the age of 20 and, um, you know, just like everyone else, you know, dollar in a dream, uh, you know, grew up, uh, you know, mother and a mentally disabled brother, didn't really have a father figure at that time in my life. And so I knew I had to kind of man up and man up in the house. And so from there, you know, I was working a dead end job getting $13 an hour and, you know, $13 an hour really wasn't supplying a lot. And I said, I knew I had more for my life. I knew God had more for me in my life. And so I started, you know, looking at entrepreneurship, MLM companies, and this guy came into my job one day and he said, hey, dude, you know, he looks super successful. I said, hey, what do you do? He said, I do real estate wholesaling. And I said, I don't know what that is, uh, but can you teach me what that is? He looks super successful. And he said, yeah, you know, I'll I'll teach you. Pay me $3,000. I'll teach you everything you you know everything you want to know about it. It was my entire net worth. I had to sell some of my shoes, my music equipment. I used to be a producer to come up with the money to pay him. Once I paid him, he actually didn't teach me anything. He left, and uh, oh, didn't teach me anything. No. On top of that, I got fired from my job at the same time. My girlfriend broke up with me. I was going through some real hardships at that time, and my mother was working two jobs trying to support us and go to college. And so we had to neglect, unfortunately, my mentally disabled brother at that time. So all this stress was in my life. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna make this real estate investing thing work. I'm gonna make it happen. I'm gonna make wholesaling work. And uh, just became resourceful. Went online, YouTube, Google. How do I wholesale? How do you make a million dollars in real estate investing wholesaling? And I knew wholesaling was good for me because there's no cash or no credit, which is exactly what I didn't have, credit or cash. So from there, you know, nine months struggling, pushing, working hard, going three days with no sleep and no food and just a lot of prayer and guidance from God. And then from there, you know, nine months later, closed my first deal, which was $30,000, my first deal, the age of 21. And then uh, from there, scaled my company to now, you know, doing millions and millions of dollars a year. And, uh, you know, last month we locked up right around 60 deals in eight different metropolitan markets. I've retired my mother 100%, so she doesn't work a day in her life ever again. I take care of my mentally disabled brother. I, you know, employ over 25 people. Um, It's just incredible. You know, I'm 27 years old. I own commercial assets. All my assets are worth right around, you know, 10 million. I'm under contract on an $8.1 million asset right now. Taking those fees that I've made in wholesaling, invested into commercial real estate, and scaled our wholesaling company. So, long story short, that's that's who I am. So, from 20 yeah. years old, taking your last three thousand yeah. dollars, giving it away to a scam artist, <laughs> yeah. To now at 27, you're talking about owning 10 million dollars in real estate. Right. 
Wow, what an amazing story. Yeah, thank you. And thank I, you. how many houses are you doing a year, would you say? Um, roughly, we're doing a few hundred houses, you know, about 400. Last year, we did right around 350. This year, we're probably going to do around 600, you know, so 600, 500 to 600, right around that range. In one year? So, one year, yeah. Wow. We're, su we're super excited. And uh, again, this is, you know, the only way to do that amount of volume is by opening up multiple different markets. When I was in D.C., you know, I, I used to have such a small mind in Washington, DC and there's huge hits you know we've made in DC I've made a $300,000 assignment fee quarter million dollar assignment fees in DC for development type projects but you know I was so stuck in just my one market and I said you know how can I expand past this million dollar a month mar a million dollar a year mark and it was opening up multiple uh, multiple different markets. So from DC, I went to Tampa, then to Philly, then to Atlanta and Charlotte and Baltimore and all these different markets. So that's really how you start scaling your organization. So, so are you wholesaling residential, commercial, or both? Uh, mostly residential. Our scaled operation is, is residential, and we're acquiring commercial assets. So we're not. We used to uh, focus on development in DC because that's what we knew really well. But now we just focus on scaling single family. So all right, let's focus on that DC deal. Mm -hmm. Three hundred thousand dollars assignment fee. Was it a cash yeah. buyer? Uh, cash buyer, yes. Okay, yeah. I was going to ask how you got that through a bank assigning $300,000. Oh, no, it wasn't through a bank. It was actually through cold calling. We were cold calling four units, fourplexes. And uh, this gentleman had a fourplex, hated it, wanted to get rid of it. His tenants weren't paying. And he said, if you buy it for me for $300,000, I'll sell it to you. And that fourplex actually had to play to pop the top, add four more units, convert into an eightplex, multiple different condos. And so we secured it for three hundred. dollars resold it to, for 600000 to a cash buyer. Okay, so when you say resold it, you did not actually put the other floors on. You put the floors on a plan and said, here's a good idea, man. Why don't you buy this and go ahead and add on to it? No, actually, we didn't even do that. We just simply secured the contract and we understood the zoning rights in D.C. and we communicated with a couple of developers in the area to say, hey, what is this potential? And they told us, hey, you can add another level and add four more units on this on this building. So once we knew that, we marketed the asset in that fashion. And so a developer, no brainer, picked it up 600 grand. And we just assigned the contract. So Wow. Now, did you get in with structural engineers and everything to make sure that it would support that type of uh, development? Just let them do all that. You did some light work and just assigned the contract. Yeah, super light work. You know, we secured the contract with the purchase agreement. We saw what the potential was and we simply sold the potential. That was it. So they did all that work. They did the development. It took us 30 days to do the deal. And that was that. All right, so in all your markets right now, are you saying you're finding more on-market stuff or you're grabbing your own leads from off-market sources? Yeah, to be honest, everything that we do is off-market, right? So we do a lot of direct mail. I mean, I think last month we sold like, uh, send 170,000 postcards in a month. Uh, so we do a lot of direct mail, a massive amount of cold calling as well. So homeowners are consistently, we're adding leads to our sales floor in Tampa, Florida from all these different markets. So these calls are coming in to our sales team. We have access to the multiple listing service to make offers right there over the phone. Wow, that's amazing. I know as a shameless plug for RealFlow, of course, they are doing the postcards, we have like 35 cents out of there. And they have the artificial intelligence now, so you can start building those lists. I'm not sure if that's ones you're using or not, but yeah. 170,000 postcards, man, you are definitely buying a few mail trucks with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good yeah. stuff. So let's go to conversions real quick. Okay. Let's talk about conversions. You sent out 135 
or let's just call it 100,000 postcards, just for mm -hmm. round numbers. How many calls are you getting off that? What percentage? Uh, roughly, I mean, it really depends on the postcard, but it can range between, uh, you know, 1% uh, to 2%. I would say the average is like 1.3, 1.5. About 1.3, 1.5%. Out of those, how many deals are you pulling? So 15, this is the way that I break it down. So with direct mail, it's about 1,500. So 1 1.5 would be about 1,500 calls out of 1,000, uh, 100,000 postcards. So out of 1,500 calls, our conversion rate of lead to actual contract is roughly around uh, 40 leads to actual contract. And then it's, you know, hey, how many contracts you secured? What is the percentage of contracts that you secure that you actually close on? Because as wholesalers, you guys probably already know that you lock up a deal and then you might not actually sell it, right? There's probate issues, recital issues, you got it too high. And so from there, you know, we're converting about 40 leads per contract. And then our contract to close ratio is between 50 to 60%. So for every 10 contracts, we'll actually close on six of them. Okay, so let me break this down. Let's go back to your your close, define close. You mean close in, you've assigned it or close that you wrote a check and closed it? Closed it, they closed, you know, the deal actually closed. The deal closed. How many are you closing personally versus assigning? None, none. We, none. we don't close anything. Everything that we do is either a double close or an assignment. So double close or assignment, that is strictly all we do is wholesaling. There's no risk in that. So if the market was to correct, we're holding, I mean, we're under contract on 65 different assets right now in eight different metropolitan markets. So if the market was to correct and all these values drop 40%, 30%, you know, I'd, I'd lose out a lot. And so because we hold the contract, if the market was to correct, we would lose our earnest money deposit, but significantly less risk than actually owning the asset. All right. So no intention on ever closing. Uh, we, we do have intention on closing because we do have the funds to close, exactly, yeah. right? So yeah, I know. we do have the funds to gotcha. close. So we do have intentions on closing ourselves if we ever need to. So awesome. You have the intent on closing. That's all that matters. And there's so many people that get caught up in the logistics of all the, they're the naysayers. They want to try to find all the problems in wholesaling. So they never want to get started. And if they are seeing someone successful like yourself, they want to poke holes in their organization to show why it doesn't work. But let's forget all that stuff and let's move forward and talk about how you did make it work on such a large scale right. in seven years. And I'm going to be honest with you, man. I do like a hundred houses a year. I've been doing this 22 years and I'm sitting next to you. I am truly interested. Like, oh my gosh. Right. You're six, seven years in this business and talking about doing 600 houses. Yeah. You definitely have some systems and processes that I'd love for you to share. So let's start out with where was your first point of scaling? Mm -hmm. Like when you started adding more people on and not just being a solopreneur. Mm -hmm. Well, I do want to touch back on this topic. And, and this is actually an important topic is being too scared to actually get started. Right. Yeah. And, you know, to be honest, you know, when I first got started in the business, I didn't have the contracts. I couldn't afford the contracts. I literally got a free contract from Google that I downloaded. And obviously this might not be legal in any regards, but it was a simple contract from Google that I just got. And that's what I signed with homeowners. And so I think what a lot of new investors are scared of is they have to get everything right. They need the contracts. They need the the perfect marketing, the perfect script. And look, just get started. You know, at the end of the day, I just I, I want your people to know that you don't have to have everything right. It's important to get started. But to answer your question, you know, it's it's just about scaling your organization. It's about putting the right people and the right processes in the right positions in your business. So for us, the first start was getting a CRM. Right. So once we had a CRM, that was what, you know, kind of put together all the leads. All the leads were coming in. We send out marketing, direct mail, cold calling, RVMs going out and leads would go into the CRM. Then we have salespeople calling back those leads or taking those leads live on the CRM. 
more leads, about 100 to 150 leads a week per rep was what we were averaging. So now if you get over 150 leads on a weekly basis, you hire more reps. And so that's simply what we did. We hired more reps that answered the phone with these homeowners, acquisitions reps, right? So as you hire more acquisition reps, what they do is they take these calls live with the homeowners, make offers right from the MLS. So they look at the MLS, they look at the cash transactions, which I'm sure your system does as well, right? Right, yes. Yeah, so you know, look at the cash transactions in a one mile radius and you say, what am I investors paying for? Because that's your clientele is, you know, once you have that house on a contract, your clientele are the investors in the area. So you're really making offers based on the cash transactions. So that's what they did. And we made offers to homeowners in seven minutes. And from there, we secured a lot of contracts. Once they get the contract, we give it to our dispositions department, who then manages the relationships with the buyers, investors, and they sell the contract. And uh, we have a transaction coordinator facilitating the transaction process. And that's how we do it. All right. So. Look, I, we, gosh, we touched on a lot of things there. Yeah. Your seven-minute decision-making process, right. clearly you could make a decision in seven minutes. Right. How are you training your team so well to make a decision on buying such a heart or locking a house in a contract in seven minutes? Yeah, well, one is there's not that much risk in our contract. So we put a $500, money, $500 earnest money deposit, and we still have a 10-day inspection period in our agreement, right? So 10-day inspection period allows us to secure a contract even if we got it too high. That's okay. It's not a big deal. So we make sure that our acquisition team knows that, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to get a property potentially too high. So one is, you know, the way that we're making offers in seven minutes is, again, looking in a one mile radius and looking at the cash transactions. It starts with the marketing, though. We target zip codes where there's a lot of cookie cutter type homes. So if we have 123 Main Street, 125 Main Street, which is a comparable that 125 Main Street LLC just purchased for 100000 we know that they're so similar in style and facade that most likely 125 Main Street LLC would purchase our property on 123 Main Street, right? So we just know, hey, if this guy is buying it for 100,000, there's another comp for 110, there's another comp for 105, we know that we can probably sell to an investor for around 100,000. So we would just make that marginal difference between 90,000, 80,000 and what we offer the homeowner, which is the 80, 90,000, and then the 100,000 for what we sell. All right. so. Not an uh, earnings disclaimer here saying that this is what you make on every deal, but yeah. what is your target on assignment? If you're trying to assign a contract, what is your target number or percentage? Yeah, target number around 15000 15, You shoot for $15,000 for assignment. Correct. Is there a point that you just drop off and said, ah, it's not worth it, I'm not messing with it? You have a contract, you can only make a grand on it or something, do you say forget it? No, actually, we'd make $2,000 on deals sometimes, you know, $2,000, $3,000, so 100% no. We, we, we try to make every single deal work because we want to perform with the sellers and we want to perform with our buyers as well. So it's not necessarily as much as how much we're making, but it's more about making sure we keep a good reputation with sellers and buyers. And can you keep the deal alive? That's perfect. Exactly, yeah. Now, you're dealing in so many multiple markets in different states, different cities. Mm -hmm. Do you have a preferred title company that you're using with all of them, or do you just have different ones in different cities? That's a great question. And actually, we have we build relationships with the top wholesalers in every single market that we're going into. And we ask them, hey, what's what's your preferred title company? And typically, they'll, they'll shoot out the bag exactly yeah. who they use, and that's who we build a relationship with. So a different title company every market. All right. Now, who are you using 
to go out and your 10-day inspection? Are you actually sending one of your potential buyers out there to inspect the property and do the pictures for you? Great question as well, actually. Uh, so what we do is once we secure that contract, we then go through our transaction coordinator, goes through her steps. So she contacts the homeowner, builds rapport, sends it to the title company, and then she calls a runner. So we hire a runner in every single one of these markets that's typically a licensed real estate agent that goes out, we pay them about $50 per picture to go out, go to the pictures, $50, and go take pictures of the property. $50 per property. Property, yes, I'm oh. sorry. <laughs> I was like, property, yeah. I'd be I'm taking sorry. a lot. I want to be your picture guy because yeah. I'm going to burn up the camera. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, so $50 per property. And then when we get buyers to go in yeah. there for showings, we pay them another $50 for going out there and facilitating the showing with the buyers and the sellers. So, wow, perfect. Yeah. So, this is how you're doing this in a, in a market like that. You're taking a runner to go out and get you the pictures. You're uploading them yeah. at this point. All right, so now let's get to the part you're getting ready to market your contract. Correct. What are you using? I mean, I know RealFlow, shameless plug, <laughs> RealFlow has the, the sell point that we load the pictures into. It can send the link out. Mm -hmm. Are you using a particular system or are you using Dropbox or? Yeah, we use Dropbox. She, so the runner would go upload all the pictures to Dropbox. As soon as those pictures are uploaded, TC puts together the entire email campaign. So we use Active Campaign to send mass emails out. We have like 25,000 buyers, something crazy like that in our system. So it goes out to all, all our buyers and then um, they simply email, email us back if they're interested. We also have automated dialers. So our sales guys are dialing out their individual buyers on their dialer, reminding them about the deal that we just emailed them. So launch, you just, like in RealFlow, you're launching this thing out. Yeah. Instantly, those numbers are in there too. So you have dialers following saying, hey, just emailed your deal, take a look at it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Wow, so yeah. you are definitely on top of it. Yeah. Now you have 25 guys and girls in your office. Yep. Are these W-2s or just 1099 well, sales Well, 25 people? people in total. So some are 1099. Mostly, uh, most of the ones, in everyone in the office is a W-2 employee though. Yeah. Okay. Are they getting, are they commission sales? They get commissions and all this? Uh, they, salaries. Oh, they're all getting salaries. Yes. They just have quotas to meet. Salaries and then bonuses. Yeah. Salaries nice. and bonuses. Yeah. Now, did you start out that way or did you start out? Yeah, no. When I started out, everywhere I couldn't pay. You know, I couldn't pay a nickel and dime to anybody. I hired a couple of my buddies to make cold calls with me, and yeah, we would give them a percentage of commission. So yeah, but so every the way that I would recommend anyone starts out is giving them a percentage of the commission of whatever deal you have. If you're bringing people on, trying to scale your organization, so that's obviously not how I agree. You, you should start off with paying salaries, but that's how we do it. Okay, there's yes, you have such an active business. There's so many questions, so I want to kind of yeah. keep driving and yeah, keep, yeah. All right, going back here now. You're talking about sending an email. Mm -hmm. Clearly, if you're buying sixty deals in a month at a time, mm -hmm. that's going to be a minimum of two emails a day going out. Do you mm -hmm. find your list is getting beat up? You know what? Uh, no, because we secure great assets. So we do a double check on every single asset that we secure. We always do a double check. So our head of acquisitions that manages the acquisitions department, they approve the deal. And then when it goes to sales, we then reapprove the deal to ensure that it is a actual deal that our buyers will like. And so I don't feel like we're beating up our list because we're providing them consistent value, consistent deal flow. So not at all. I don't think so. Like what would you say your open ratio is, having that many emails going out? Um, from what I've seen, I think it's around 15 to 20%, roughly. Wow. Yeah, roughly. I would have to double check that, but I think it's roughly around that. All right. Yeah. And then guessing on outbound calls. How many outbound calls are you generating with these, these auto dialers yeah. in a day? For, for our buyers? 
You have in a day, how many times you have a team that are sitting there with headsets on and auto dollars going, email hit, let's go team. Yeah. And they start calling. So how many outbound calls do you have going? You know, it's an automated dollar. We use a company called Zencall, uh, which is a triple line dollar. And so, you know, I would have to see, but roughly they get around contacts like voice of voices between 40 to 70 on a daily basis. So pretty good amount. It, it, it doesn't necessarily go off dials, but it goes off with contacts. So we're getting around 40 to 70 contacts on a daily basis. What's cool is that we actually hire a whole team of virtual assistants. We have like 10 virtual assistants that are you know, getting buyers lists consistently, going on the MLS, looking for those LLCs, skip tracing them, and then adding them to our buyers list. So as our guys are calling, immediately new buyers are going to the top of the dialer. And so they're calling new buyers and refreshing the list consistently. So our VA team, they're like our buyer builder team. So they're getting leads. Uh, they're getting buyers from Facebook groups. They're getting buyers from the MLS. They're also getting buyers from purchase lists that we buy from Adam Data or List Source, all these other resources, skip tracing these buyers and then adding them to our buyers list. So our buyers list is always growing and our salespeople always have new people to talk to. Awesome. Hey, this is Andy from RealFlow. And a couple of the most common things we hear from our listeners are, I wanna become a real estate investor, but I don't know where to start. Or I have a real estate investing business, but I'm having trouble scaling. We took these to heart and decided to create the Real Estate Investing Lifecycle, a downloadable PDF which lays out the six foundational steps required to run a successful real estate investing business. You can download your copy today at reilifecycle.com start. Happy investing. One of the challenges that I have found in this business is distinguishing a real buyer from a new wholesaler that was just a ballroom graduate. And because everyone wants to buy it, I'm like, all right, are you really gonna buy us? Are you gonna close? I have real proof of funds. Don't send me a generated letter. Mm -hmm. How is your team deciphering who's a real buyer versus just another wholesaler that's just gonna take your deal and pimp it out? You know, that's a that's a great question. You know what? We we love working with wholesalers. You know, we love working with wholesalers. So we tell our wholesalers, you know, hey, just letting you know, we we work with wholesalers all the time. All of our deals have great spreads in them. So typically wholesalers, you know, we've, I've, I've had a wholesaler make $20,000 on top of the price that we were asking. And so the way that we sell our deals is we have a buy it now price. So we're not like getting all of our investors like, hey, you know, give me your best offer and we'll see what we can do. I feel like we've lost a lot of relationships when we were doing it that way with investors. They hate bidding wars. They do off market and they work with wholesalers for the reason of not doing auctions, right? Not going to bidding wars. And so now we have a price that's called the buy it now price. And it's, hey, if you can make that offer and you can get to the buy now price, whoever can get that price puts the EMD in first, gets the deal. And so now we've trained our buyers to move quickly because for us, it's not necessarily about making the most amount of juice we can squeeze out of every deal. For us at this point, it's about dispositioning massive amounts of product, right? And so that's that's what we do. Now, how much earnest money are you taking on these deals to keep people? Everything is different. So typically, you know, every deal is different. And typically, it's actually off of the assignment fee. So if we're making a $50,000 fee, we might, you know, put $10,000 in earnest money, even though the house is only $100,000. Um, so every deal is different. We've negotiated lower on larger properties. And typically, if it's a larger property, higher earnest money. But I think I got to talk to my sales guy, but I think it's 5000 for every $100,000. It's like kind of our standard rule of thumb. Yeah. 5%. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Now, do you have 
these new buyers are coming in. You're you're cultivating them off of Facebook, off LinkedIn, wherever you're getting them from. No relationship. Like I deal with a lot of guys for you know 10, 15 years at a time. Mm-hmm. These are brand new. What's oh. your fallout rate? How many people are dropping a couple bucks? They can't perform. There's problems with them. Fallout rate with the deals? With the buyer, with your buyer flaking out and then doing like you would do mm-hmm. and saying, well, I don't like the inspection. This doesn't look the way it should. I want to renegotiate. Yeah. After the contract is secured or before? Like, analyze. Well, how much, how much time do you give them after they give you a contract? Are you giving them a long inspection period? No, our buyers don't get any inspection period. So we get all of our buyers in the property. And no, we, we never sign an assignment with an inspection period with the buyer. So it, it then because then we're we're locking up a deal with a buyer that can back out last minute and then we're not performing with the seller and that's our main goal is exactly. we want to perform with our seller you know and that's our that's our responsibility whether it's us buying it or the other buyer buying it are you going directly to your your new buyer right now and letting them know this is an assignment and this is how much your assignment fee is if you're buying a house for fifty thousand dollars to sell them for sixty five, you're saying, "Hey, you're paying sixty five, mm-hmm. and then send the assignment." Or you're saying, "I have a contract for fifty, you're going to give me a fifteen thousand assignment." That's a great question as well. So, what we actually do is we'll send them the purchase agreement and we'll black out the purchase price that we have with the seller, so they can see all the terms. But the only term they can't see is how much we have the property under contract with, and so it'll be a four page document. Our purchase agreement is simple; it's two pages. We like to keep a simple purchase agreement with the sellers because we lock up deals over the phone, we send them a DocuSign, we wanna make that contract as simple and easy to read and comprehensible as possible for the seller. And so we send them that purchase agreement and then the assignment agreement to the buyer, the purchase agreement has a blacked out, no purchase price in there. So they all they see is the gross price that they're buying the asset for. So it'll say $100,000 and we could have got the deal for 50, 80, it doesn't matter. So you do not spell out an assignment fee amount in the assignment. You just say, this is the gross price you're paying and the difference between the contract and this is the assignment fee. Correct, exactly. Brilliant. Yeah. That, that's great yeah. stuff. Thank you. That, that's really great stuff. All right. So we've probably done a lot of mind blowing now, people, because you were just like, like I would say, drinking through a fire hose. We're yeah. just rapid firing, but you are definitely the real deal because I go through this stuff day in and day out. And it is like, you, I know what you go through to make all these deals happen. Yeah, man. So it's not easy. Yeah. So let's talk about mindset. Mm. I mean, let's talk about, you know, what keeps you going and how you have that belief system that this is going to work and how you can go and lock 60 houses in contracts. Like, how did you get to that point and fighting through all the adversity thinking of what they fall out, what if we get bad Google reviews, bad mm-hmm. Facebook posts? You know, what what got me started was I used to think, hey, if one man can do it, another man can do it, right? Yeah. And that was the first thing that got me started. If I saw, if I knew that someone out there was doing this, I can do it. Right. Mm-hmm. If someone out here is building a billion dollar organization, I can do it. Right. And and that's always been my mentality. If one man can do another man can do. And so that's what got me. That's what got me started. That's what got me closing my first deal. And I think I was in such a desperate spot that I wasn't concerned if, you know, I, I didn't have the contracts right. The deal fell through. I was so desperate to just get a deal done to help my family out and get me closer to where I wanted to be becoming a multi-million dollar real estate investor. Right. That, that's where I wanted to go. And so, you know, to answer your question, the mentality that I have now is it's more purpose driven, right? So now we have a successful company doing a few million dollars a year in my wholesale company. I have assets and we have our amazing education company where we're training hundreds and hundreds of people on how to scale their organization and, you know, create amazing results in their wholesale organization as well. So now it's more about purpose. And so my purpose and my vision is to create leaders nationwide 
dominate markets, dominate real estate markets, dominate business markets, become the best person, and then give millions of dollars, right? So giving millions of dollars has always been a passion of mine. You know, I, if I, you know, for me, I'm stewarding God's wealth, and it's not for me. I'm not going to take it to the grave, right? Like Drake, right? I'm not taking it to the <laughs> grave. I'm, I'm here to give it back, right? I'm going to create this wealth, give back. So that's always been a passion of mine. To creating leaders, you know, because I had terrible leader examples when I was first starting out, you know, father not around at that time when I needed him and mentor robbing me. I knew I wanted to be that amazing example for other young men, for other young men that were going through tough times. When I got kicked out of high school and I went to an alternative school, you know, everyone that was around me were gang members and affiliates and all this crazy stuff. And they were they were just like <laughs> terrible examples, right? They led me down a bad path, to even a worse path, that worse path that almost got me killed and murdered on multiple different occasions. And so I wanted to be a strong example for the youth. I want to be a strong example and a strong leader for all of our mentor students that we have. So that's what drives me every day. And then the last one, which is dominating markets. I just, you know, I want to give all the glory to God. And I feel like if I'm number one in every single business, you, you can't help but look at me. And ultimately, if you're looking at me, you're looking back at God. And all the glory that I give is to God because God knows I cannot be here sitting at this table with you. I should be dead right now. God knows that I'm here alive, thriving because of him. And so I give all glory to him. Amen, man. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah I, that's so cool that it's not. And I hope people realize that everyone wants to get in real estate because it started out all about the money. Like, oh, my gosh, we had that episode earlier about just surviving the thriving. Right. And that's where we all started. I was like, I just want to do one deal, then two deals and three. And then you get to the point that you want to buy Lamborghinis and all <laughs> the different cars and everything. But then how many yachts can you water ski behind? It gets to a point you're like, all right, I got to do something good with my time with my money and all my resources and get back some of the things that you were not given as a child. Amen. But, you know, I see that so frequently in people that a lot of people that were, and all our guests on the show, almost every single one of them, their answer to real estate, why they want to do it is so they can give so much to their families and their kids won't have to have the struggle that they had. Mm -hmm. But I always think back in my mind, I'm like, that very struggle that you're pulling away from them is what's taking their hunger away. Mm. You know, you feed a barn cat every single day, you're going to have mice. <laughs> they're not going to go out and get their own. Yeah. And then one day, if you take that food away, they don't know how to eat and they're going to starve. Mm. So it might have been a rough start for you, man, but it definitely puts you in a good place. Yeah, thank you. So let's give some advice to somebody, a good takeaway, something you've learned that if, you, if someone was just getting started out and they were afraid to make that initial jump, what would you tell somebody like, hey, do this. You know, it's so funny. I was I was literally just having this conversation, and um, the way that I did it is not the is not maybe the perfect way of doing it. Right? I jumped all the way in, but at the same time, um, you know, I had a lot of faith. I had a lot of faith in God, and I think the most important thing is that you really need to understand your own purpose. Why were you born? And when you understand your purpose and you're guided in every step in your life. You know, when I made the decision to quit my job, I, I technically I got fired as a mutual getting fired and kind of quitting for my job. I could have went and got another job. I could have went and got another job. And my mother was in my ear every single day. Like, what are you doing? Don't go into real estate. It'll never work. You'll never make it happen. Go get a job. Go get a job. And she was in my ear every day. Go support the family. We got to we got to pay the bills. We got to do this yeah. stuff. You're not paying rent, whatever it is. And so I had to make a decision and it was the decision of faith. And so for me, I went all the way in. I went all the way in. I cut, I burned all the ships and I said, 
mom, I don't care what you say. I don't care what all my friends say. I don't care what anyone says. I'm going all the way in on real estate. I had to cut off a lot of friends. I had to read three books a week, which dedicated a lot. I had to stay up three, four nights in a consistent row. I had to hit the gym consistently, right? I had to take my mentally disabled brother to the gym and take him around with me because I had to take care of him at the same time. I had to discipline myself ridiculously, not party at the age of 21 when all your friends are partying, not hanging out with girls, not doing any of that stuff to complete discipline. But at the end of the day, it, it, it's what got me to where I'm at today. So my advice to the young you know, young person out there, even the person getting started in entrepreneurship, regardless of your age, you have to go all in. And that's what I did. And obviously got me to where I'm at today. So go all in, burn the boats and <laughs> go all the way in. So all these negative people that yeah. you're completely shutting out, blocking, putting your blinders on, right. how many now that they see the results have come back around? How many oh, are back gosh. in your life? Now they see you rolling the Lambos around and you're all <laughs> over Facebook and YouTube and you're on the stages. How many want to be back in your life going, oh, I never was a naysayer. I knew it always worked. You know, um, one, my mom, I mean, I remember her going to my stage at one of my events. She couldn't believe it. She didn't even really know what I did with my education. And then she walks into my event. There's 250 people in the room and I'm the main speaker. I'm speaking. I'm teaching people. Right. Yeah. You know, and uh, and so I remember I brought her on stage and she started crying because, you know, she she I, I, I was telling her like my mom, we used to fight every day. I remember going home before I walked in the door. I'm like, here, another fight. You know, I mean, my mom we would fight so much there'd be so much you know distress in the house my brother would be crying I would be crying my mom would be crying there was just so much distress in my house I remember them those times it was so rough emotionally for me because she was in my ear every single day you need to get a job you need to get a job my fa my friends didn't believe in me they used to laugh at me you know you're, you're never going to make it in real estate I had to cut all these people out you know the one person that I felt like was in my corner was God no one else was in my corner, no one else. I was in complete solitude for months and months, almost a full year on end. And it was just, I felt that passion and that that peace in my heart that God said, nope, you're on the right path. Keep going, keep going, so. Go back to the moment yeah. that you realize you've made it. And now you realized that you could retire your mother. Mm -hmm. How was that moment? How did that feel? And how did you like put her there and let her know, mom, yeah. the struggle's over? You know what, um, one, you know, I was, I, <laughs> she was working a job and I remember she, she was making like, I think like $3,000 a month, 36,000 a year. <clears throat> she finally went to college. She got her degree. I was so proud of her. And she was staying, the, the way I get my hustle is from my mom. I remember watching her work two jobs and then go to school at nighttime, staying up all night, not going to sleep and then going back to her job, going to university. And so that's where it drove me so much watching her do that. But, you know, when I retired, I remember her coming every single day and she hated her job because her boss was nagging and angry and called her names and just nasty stuff. And I remember I was so furious. I was like, I'm going to beat up your boss. Like he used to say <laughs> nasty stuff, like just terrible leadership. And then I remember one day I, I was thinking to myself and I, you know, I started really scaling my company up. I went from DC to Tampa to this and that. And, you know, we're doing over 2 million a year at that time, 3 million a year. And now I remember looking back and I'm like, why can't I retire my mom? I was like, I can do that. I have these rental properties. I have my income coming from my wholesale company. I 100% can retire my mom. And I remember I told I told her, I was like, go into your job and tell them you freaking quit. You know, I, I didn't say freaking, I said something else, but I was like, tell them you quit. And she's like, wow. I was like, mom, you're not gonna work anymore. You're done. You're not working again. I'm taking care of you from now on. I'm gonna put you on salary. You're done. Never have to work a day more in your life. 
And literally, I remember picking her up from, from work that day, and she went in, quit. Like that, quit. And that was it. And, and you looked at her and said, I was joking, mom. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> like, you didn't really no. do that. Yeah. Wow. No, that's was, amazing. Yeah, it was an amazing time, man. It really was. That is so it's been like two years where she's just, she loves what she, I mean, she takes care of my little nieces. Uh, she takes care of my, my brother now. And I mean, she's just, it's, it's just incredible. I think the most amazing thing about it is not just the money that I'm able to pay for her, take care of her and my mentally disabled brother. It's, it's the peace that I see because there was so much distress in my house. We used to fight and cry and all this stuff. And now when I see her, she's glowing. I mean, she's glowing. And I think whenever I see that, it makes my heart warm, you know, because I see that and I'm like, like, I can't believe that a kid that no one believed in, you know, that 20 years old, no high school education, no college education can go and build a multi-million dollar company in real estate wholesaling, scale to this degree, buy assets, retire his mom, and change my mother's complete emotional status and my brother's too. I mean, he's the same way, glowing. He's he's an angel, and um, you know he couldn't do it for himself. He's mentally, you know, uh, mentally disabled, and so he could never do it for himself. And so, you know. It's just an incredible that, feeling, man. It really is. is. You know, it gets me emotional. Even that is it. far beyond any yeah. monetary thing you could ever buy, any vacation you could take. That is like to see that, knowing that without your hustle, that that would have never happened. Amen. With her college degree, with the best job she could get, the promotion she could get, because she'd have never had that peace because she would have always had that negativity from the employer pushing her down, which amazes me how some of these companies, how they have negativity as leadership. Yeah. I'm like, why? That's, that's such an old school way of thinking. Yeah. All right. So clearly you are a hustler. Yeah. Clearly you work hard. So I want you to take me through Raphael's day. I want you to take me. It is morning or maybe you get up at noon. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I doubt that. Yeah. <laughs> Start me out all the way through your morning routine in detail through the evening. And how does it go? You know, um, how it is now is uh, wake up early in the morning. So I have multiple different companies, you know, commercial acquisitions, my education company, my wholesale company. Those are my three main companies that I'm, I'm focused on. So, <clears throat> you know, wake up in the morning. I wake up around six o'clock. And uh, the first thing I do is, you know, prayer. I immediately always fall to prayer. And I, I journal really simply. I journal, you know, what I feel like is on my heart that day. What's on my heart? Because I think everyone in life needs wisdom. I think the reason why I'm at where I'm at today is not because of all these, you know, because I'm so smart, because I'm, I'm not that smart. But, you know, one thing that I do is I consistently ask for wisdom, you know, and I think that's the reason why I'm at where I'm at today is that I always seeked for wisdom. I, I sought for wisdom from other mentors, most importantly from God. So in my journal, you know, I'm seeking for wisdom every single day. I'm just like, hey, you know, I have this going on in my life. What is the right decision? And I'm journaling to God pretty much or your universe, whatever you, you know, whatever your believer, you know, people that are watching this believe in. So I'm journaling and I find a Bible verse that literally relates to what's going on in my day. And that's it. I journal. That's what I do in the morning time. Once I'm done with that in the morning time, I'm off to the races. You know, I'm going straight to the office. I get to the office around 7 a.m. And, uh, you know, I structure my entire day. I have quarterly rocks. So there's a great book out there called Scaling Up and Traction. So we have quarterly rocks in every single one of our companies, and then we create to-dos 
that are supposed to be hit for that to hit those quarterly rocks every single day. And then I calendar them out in my day. So it could be have to shoot a podcast today. I have to go, you know, for educational, you know, clients have to do videos, have to do, you know, um, you know, build out as, you know, something in our new CRM, et cetera, et cetera. So there's always to do's that are linked exactly with the rocks, which are quarterly goals. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what that's what my day is. And I go until about I fast, you know, I fast when I'm in the office, I'm fasting. So I fast all day roughly until you know uh 3 p.m 4 p.m and then i break my first meal and then i go to the gym at around 6 7 o'clock i don't so, mean to pause you here but i guess you get up at six o'clock you're doing your prayers you're doing your journaling you read a biblical verse you rush to the office and your first meal is at 4 p.m yeah 4 p.m so you know intermittent fasting has actually been a huge huge uh you know, it's been amazing for me, you know, fasting for me, not only is a spiritual kind of discipline, but it's also more importantly for me, it's uh, it not only is to help you with your physical body, but it also gives you increased ketones in your mind. So you can think more creatively, you think more aggressively, you think more uh, intuitively and sharp, you know, it sharpens your mind, essentially. So there's a massive amount of ketones that are going to your brain, which is kind of the fight or flight mindset. And so it makes you more creative, makes you think quicker, sharper on your feet, whatever it is. So I fast and then I break my fast around 4 p.m. and then I hit the gym and then after my gym I, you know, finish the remainder of my calories eating. I go home and I'm typically reading with some hookah. You know, that's my vice is hookah. I love hookah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, man, I, I go to sleep and I might sleep, you know, five hours on average a night. You know, five, six hours is a good night. And so five to six hours a night is what I'm doing. So that's that's pretty much it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I would be a complete bear if I didn't eat until four o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, one of the things I'm always asking all of our guests, mm -hmm. and I think I already know your answers, but freedom. Right. What freedoms has real estate given you and your family, which clearly we know about your mother and your brother and everything else. What freedoms, let's maybe dial into what freedoms do you see it providing your team? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, freedom for me, obviously with my mother, she's retired, but freedom for me, I haven't been in the office in almost two weeks. I went from Costa Rica, I went to Florida uh, to, to Cape Coral to go see some developments with one of our mentors. And then I went straight to uh, Costa Rica directly with him to see more of his developments. He built 600 homes there. So I went straight from Costa Rica straight to Orlando to go teach a bunch of my clients, You know, which we have over 150, I think right around 150 executive clients that work with me on a one-on-one -on -one basis so then I went to train with them for six more days and then I went straight from Orlando now I'm here in Cleveland you know for another event that we're hosting and obviously for this interview so I haven't been in the office for three weeks and almost almost three weeks about two weeks and consistently during those weeks we did you know last week we did about $175,000 in acquisitions and new deals that we secured the week before that we did right around a quarter million dollars in deals that we secured and so you know our, our company is still cranking and so you know we have uh, consistent KPIs that we hold them measurable uh, and accountable for. And I have managers over our acquisition department and our disposition department. So they're managing the salespeople. And so now it's I'm, I'm running our company from our PL. So it's incredible freedom. You know, it's really cool. And so it allows me to go now and invest more in commercial assets, which is where my focused energy is. Wow, that is amazing. Yep. So while you're gone, you had one week of 175000 in assignment fees and next week of two and a quarter. Right. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's deal secured. So amount of deal secured. So if we secure a deal for 100,000 and we project that we'll sell for 120, that's about $20,000 in projected profit. So yeah, I mean, in, in, in average, we're securing around 12 to 15 deals on a weekly basis. So 
Yeah. On a great week, we our best week is 24 deals in one week. So, my yeah. gosh, doing this at 27 years old, coming from where you came from, yeah. that quickly, yeah. yeah, God is involved. You are definitely, I, I can't, I hope I live long enough to see you at 70 years old to see what you've accomplished. <laughs> yeah. <thank laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Raphael, for being on the show. It's been amazing having you. I could literally sit here and talk to you for hours about this stuff. Yeah. I'm sure our listeners could too. Maybe we can have you back sometime yeah. in the near future. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've been watching the Real Estate Investors Roundtable. I'm your host, Rob the House Guy. And remember, nothing works unless you do. This episode is brought to you by RealFlow, the smart way to invest in real estate. All the tools you need to automate lead generation and marketing. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to leave us a review and subscribe.